On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the election. We are just days away now, but it's already being described even by the candidates now as one of the meanest, nastiest elections ever. How does someone govern when this is all over? The country seems hopelessly divided. People seem angry. Someone's going to be in power, but how do they govern a country that is seemingly so fractured? We'll talk about that one. Uh, On a happier note, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations came out. Those who could be candidates to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Alan Cross, music historian, all-round musical guru, joins us to talk about who should and who should not be going into the Hall of Fame and who should and who should not be feeling snubbed about not being in there. And then... Stick around because Barry Williams, you probably know him better as Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch. He's going to be in Hamilton this weekend for Comic-Con. He joins us to talk all things Brady and other stuff. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We are in the final stretch of the federal election. Yes, I heard you. I can hear you out there right now. Thank goodness you're screaming from your windows. I know, I get it. I get it. There are a lot of you who are about at your wits end enough already. I get it. I get it. And I'll tell you why. Because one of the leaders of one of the parties said today that one of the other parties has run the dirtiest, nastiest, meanest campaign of all time. Who, which leader do you think said that? Well, it was Justin Trudeau who said that about Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. I think, though, quite honestly, if you look around at this election, all the parties pretty much can point to all the other parties as running a mean, dirty, nasty election. There has been very little, well, some, but not very much as far as constructive stuff going on here. This has been an election of making, of demonizing the other guy, rallying around fear of what the other person might do. This has hardly been an uplifting, feel-good election where you're going to go to the polls, I don't think, voting for someone. Chances are you're probably voting against someone. I want to bring in someone who knows his way around politics. Uh, normally, he's on here every single day asking questions. I thought, let's prevent him, not prevent him, let's not make him have to ask questions. Let's let him answer some questions and throw some opinions out there, because we love having Bill Kelly on the show here in the evening. Bill, how are you tonight? Scott, I thought I was supposed to ask you these questions. But well, okay, I know. We, we can do that. All it's, right. it's going to be hard for you not to ask the questions. I mean, it's almost <laughs> autopilot now after what you've done, but... Uh, look, this. do you see this as having been a mean, nasty campaign all around? Oh, God, yeah. It's. it's I, I don't know if it's been one of the worst, but, I mean, I've covered election campaigns for many, many years now. Uh, and, and this probably ranks right up there in the top two or three, uh, simply because of the vitriol. And, and maybe more importantly, the misinformation and the BS that's come out of uh, – uh, both camps and 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 it's not just the campaign the teams and and the parties too the problem we've got now that we didn't have in previous elections and previous generations i guess is third party involvement uh because uh you know some multimillionaire can fund a campaign that says hey i want to discredit so and so uh and i can funnel my money into that and and you see all these ads on tv and they're not really paid for by the other political parties but they're there nonetheless and it really muddies the water. And social media, which does the exact oh, yeah. same thing, yeah. which does the exact same thing because you can start sending stuff out. And, you know, like there was a story that did not come from the conservatives that, that I know of. Uh, there was a rumor of, of Justin Trudeau's misbehavior at the high school where he had worked yeah. as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was started by a fake news outlet out of the country 
and yet, you know, a little bit of social media, this and that, and suddenly you've got people thinking that it's true and talking about it. it it's well, been... well, that's what happens, though, with social media. If, if you don't like a particular politician, for instance, in this case, uh, and you see a, a, a social media post that's on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, whatever it is, all of a sudden, hey, I've got I to gotta, I gotta share this. So you send it. It's not true. But all of a sudden, but who cares? It's viral, and it's the more, and there are still people, as, as you and I have talked about before, Scott, that said, "Hey, if I saw it on social media, it must be true." Well, yeah, but and it's not. And if you if you hate a politician, and and let me go back for a second to what I said to start into this, I don't think there's going to be a high percentage of people, Bill, in this election voting for a candidate. They will be voting against a candidate, and if you hate a candidate enough and you send out something on social media that may or may not be true, but it may get your point across, well, who cares if it's true or not? Because so many people these days look to social media to substantiate their, their point of view already. They're not there to find information. They're there to validate their own opinions. So, okay, so we get through this in another uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Six more days we've got of this. Uh, five, really, because the election will be on Monday itself, yeah. so no more campaigning. But five more days we get through this. Um, next time it rolls around, is there any reason to believe that things get better, or do these things always tend to just start to be a little worse the next time, a little more of whatever we had the last time? Is there any reason to think that four years from now, and I know it's a long way off, we will have suddenly an upbeat, very positive campaign because we learned something from this time? No, no, this is the new normal. And we saw this even in the last U.S. presidential election from about three years ago now. Uh, And it's not just third-party candidates or third-party individuals that are getting involved in this right now. Uh, it's it's foreign entities that are getting involved in this, and they're doing it through social media. Uh, we saw that. I mean, you know, I know Donald Trump doesn't get this. There's lots of syllable, you know, words more than two syllables that Donald Trump doesn't get. But even the Mueller report indicated that there's solid evidence. As a matter of fact, there's proof positive that the Russians were involved with uh, infiltrating the last U.S. presidential election. They're probably going to do it again. Uh, there's some indication that other elections could be influenced by this. The Brexit vote was influenced by Russian entities as well. It's there, and, and we don't know it. I mean, we're, as, as social media, uh, you know, consumers, we get sucked into this stuff all the time. And all of a sudden we say, did you see that story about Justin Trudeau? It's, it's not true. Uh, nobody There's no validation for it at all. But all of a sudden that goes viral, and people say, gee, boy, that changes my opinion of this guy, or... Or, hey, it validates my opinion that I never liked him. And we've seen these with, with Andrew Scheer. We've seen it with all of them right now. And, and you know what? That's, that's social media. And the fact that Facebook says we're not going to do anything about it is problematic. But that puts more of the onus on you and me and the consumers of social media to say, we've got to be vigilant about this. And we have to do our, our diligence on this and say, is this legitimate? And if it's not, then dismiss it. But more, more often than not, we don't bother because we're just too lazy. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bill Kelly of Bill Kelly Show fame joins us here on the Scott Radley Show this evening. Bill, there's a second part of all this, though, with the anger and with everything else that's going on. And I'm looking at an electoral map from 2015 of the government we have right now. And if you look at the map, um, you've got, you know, the swath of conservatives voting in the in the West, not really all that angry, just, you know, voting conservative. You have the liberals and NDP through Quebec. 
the all the predictions now for the upcoming election, if they're anywhere close to true, is furious folks out in the West, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and into BC, and a huge rise in the bloc that were almost dead in Quebec, which both of those are signaling really divided parts of the country. How has the country grown so divided so quickly, seemingly? Well, as, as we've talked about before, this is not new, but uh, it's, it's a renewal, I guess, of a, a certain, uh, I, I guess, stigma that, that seems to be hung here. And I, I don't want to say this is new normal. It's, it's frustrating for me, and I think it's very troubling, too. Uh, the rise of the bloc surprised everybody because everybody thought they were dead in the water after the last election, and uh, they might get one or two seats. Uh, but the bloc, is, as we saw through the, the debates over the, the last couple of weeks here, Scott, uh, they're not so much about sovereignty and about separation anymore. They just want the best possible deal for Quebec. So, I mean, they've, they've kind of shifted a little bit, and, and, and I think that's where they're gaining support again. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's troubling, but at the same time, it's going to have a huge impact. And let's not forget, it was only a few elections ago, the, the Bloc Québécois with the official opposition in Ottawa. Yep. Uh, and they, I'm not sure that they may well be this time, but, I mean, that's a factor. As for the disorientation that's going on in the rest of the country, especially west of, uh, of on the Ontario-Manitoba border, uh, a lot of that has to do with some of the politicians who have been elected or have been trying to be elected over the, in the last little while, including Jason Kenney and, and Premier Moe in Saskatchewan, who have just been basically elected and, and working on anti-federal government rhetoric. That's how they got there. You know, these guys are screwing us around, elect me and I'll fight for you and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and that, that's throwing gasoline under the fire. Uh, and it's happening in different parts of the country. I mean, certainly it happened here in Ontario, too, with Doug Ford. Not so sure how much that's going to resonate. I guess we'll find out Monday night just how much that's going to happen. Although Ford, I think, is in the witness protection program now. We haven't heard from him since the uh, the federal vote was called. Uh, but that, that's going to be a factor here. But your point is well taken. Whoever becomes prime minister on Tuesday morning after all of this uh, has got some healing to do. And, uh, and, and it's basically because of what... The individual politicians have done around this country to try to separate us. This this election and the last few provincial elections, really, have all been about the politics of division. Separate them, saying, you know, this group doesn't like you, this group doesn't like you, so you've got to support us. Uh, there, there's nothing about unity anymore. They, they don't even talk about it anymore. It's all about division to try to say, look, I'm the hero that can bring this together. And, and I'm looking at the landscape right now, and uh, I'm sorry, I don't see a hero here. Well, I don't either, and if you, and I have to believe, and I, I really do believe this, when you look at, again, the predictions, and predictions can be wrong, but if you look at the predictions of where things are going to align, you have probably Toronto and Montreal, which when you look on the map, the amazing thing is you can almost not see the blotches of red because they're such small areas on the Canadian map, but they will decide possibly this. If Toronto and Montreal end up being the deciding factor that give the Liberals another government, the people out West are going to lose their minds. And by the same token, if the people out West end up being the ones that give Sheer a government, the people in Toronto and Montreal are going, and other parts are going to lose their minds. I don't see the... I don't see the people who are ready for that healing you talk about. I see people who are priming for a bigger fight. Well, and that's part of the problem. Um, uh Let's go down that road just a second, okay? Because let's face it, this is a two-horse race. I mean, you know, Jagmeet Singh's had a nice push in the polls, and, and that's good. He's a nice guy. I've, I've talked to him a few times. but He's not going to be the next prime minister. We know that. Uh, he's probably not even going to be the next opposition leader. But uh, that's, but his his popularity is going to have an impact on this. But this is really between Trudeau and Scheer. 
So either one of them is going to be the next prime minister. Uh, if it's Justin Trudeau, uh, your point about how the West is going to resolve, respond to this is, is very valid concern. But a lot of that has been stoked by people like Jason Kenney and, and Premier Mo in Saskatchewan and others that have said, you know, these guys hate us. And, and this is the same. I heard this stuff, all of that, when his father was the prime minister. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, this is a prime minister, if Trudeau is reinstated uh, after the next election, he says, I'm going to build the pipeline for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do it hasn't happened yet because of some of the stuff that's gone in the courts. Uh, Andrew Scheer is going to come in there if he becomes the prime minister in a minority government. And they may feel a little more comfortable with that because he's a Westerner. But if it's a minority government, uh, I'm not so sure, not sure how he's going to get a lot of things done here. So what we need to do here is we need to dial down the rhetoric a little bit and have a practical look at what's going on and say, wait a second. No matter who the prime minister is, what can we do? Nobody's talking about, and I'm not trying to get overly philosophical here, Scott, but I mean, nobody's talking about healing. They're talking about division right now because they think that's how they're going to get elected. So they're all, all of them, a pox in all of their houses. They're the ones that are responsible for the scenario that we're in right now. And it, whether it's Shira Trudeau at the end of the day when the dust settles on, on the 22nd, uh, they've got a huge, a huge job to try to heal this country right now. Both of them are partly responsible for the problem that we're in. It is a mess because whoever's got it, as you say, they've got to govern a whole country and they're going to have a chunk. I, I'm positive they're going to have a huge chunk, regardless of who wins, that hates them and won't see them as a legitimate prime minister, which is not the case because it's a real election. But we've already seen that other times. Not my prime minister. And that, that now, you know, we don't have time to talk about that. But that's a whole different problem when we start getting into that thing, that democracy is no longer accepted as the real result, even if you lose. I know you're out of time, but part of the solution is, well, we can do do policy. If it's a minority government, uh, good luck with that. I mean, mean, you know, the the, the natural coalition, I hate to use that word because there's never been a coalition here since 1917, but the natural affiliation, if it's a, a liberal minority government, they can probably work with the they with do. the NDP and the and the Green to move some legislation. Got to run, right Bill. Now, sorry, yeah, right we got. Sorry, Bill. likes the Conservatives. Got to so get I out. I don't know how she's going to get anything done. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This week, the nominations came out for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the class of 2020. These are not necessarily the people who will be going in. At least, not all of them. It's the nominations. So I thought, you know what, time to bring in my favorite music historian, the guy who knows more about music than anyone else that I know or that you know. He writes the a journal of musicalthings.com, the ongoing history of new music. His name is Alan Cross. He joins you now. Alan, how are you tonight? I'm okay. Excellent. Uh, you know, before we get into this, before we get into who should or who shouldn't or who's been snubbed or who hasn't been snubbed, Every year, I think, if we talk about this, I always ask the same question, so indulge me. Should we be calling this the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because, I mean, Joan Baez is in there, and she's wonderful, but she's not rock and roll. And ABBA's in, and they're great, and they're not rock and roll. Is there a better name for this? I'm beginning to wonder. I mean, there are some people who are in the Country Music Hall of Fame that would work in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. However... There are people in the Country Music Hall of Fame that should never be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, the problem is that rock has rock is the child of a bunch of different parents, R&B, the blues, country and western. And if you're going to acknowledge the contributions throughout decades of 
rock history, you kind of go back, got to go back to the parents. And uh, I don't think there's an easy answer to this one without getting people very, very angry. <laughs> um, it's amazing it is, what we can get angry about. You know, it, 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 it is morphing into the Music Hall of Fame more than anything else, or the popular Music Hall of Fame, because there's very little rock and roll about it some years. Well, let me ask you this. Is rap rock? See, there's, there's another problem. If there were a hip-hop Hall of Fame, would you put in, you know... Um, Aerosmith. Great example. Would you? I, I, I don't know. Um, this, is, this is something that we run into every single year at this time when they announce the nominees. So the answer is you have to, I guess, open your mind to all the things that came out of the rock and roll revolution of the 1950s. And if you can trace it back to that somehow... Well, then, yes, I guess it does belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, so here are the nominees for this year. You've heard these all before, so this is not news to you. I'm going to read through the list. I think there's about 15 names. Give me your five. I mean, I don't know. If, if you were a voter, it, give me your five that you would pick out of this list to go in this year. Pat Benatar, Dave Matthews Band, Depeche Mode, Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Judas Priest, Kraftwerk, MC5, Motorhead, Nine Inch Nails, The Notorious B.I.G., Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, Todd Rundgren, Soundgarden, T-Rex, or Thin Lizzy? I would go, excuse me, in this order, Kraftwerk. How could the most important electronic band of all time not have been included in year two or three? That's just, they deserve to be in there. The fact that they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is nothing short of a travesty. Do you think that a lot of people with Kraftwerk, because I'll admit that this is not a, like the name Kraftwerk, it's, it's not my style of music and it's not something I'm wildly familiar with. Does it affect people that it's a European band and that maybe the name, the influence they've had is huge, but the name may not be as resonant with some people? So here's the thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Voting is controlled by about 900 members, and there is a certain bias that crops up every once in a while against some European act. So yes, I think you would probably be right in saying that there has been a lack of education and knowledge about what Kraftwerk actually has meant to music worldwide, including America. But uh, at least they're on the ballot here. I think this might be the second year in a row that they're on the ballot. Uh, but they they really deserve to get in. Okay, Kraftwerk is sorry. Kraftwerk is one. So who's we get? Who's number two? Then would be on your list. I would put the notorious B.I.G. Okay, uh, in, in, uh, incredibly um, influential rapper. He changed the way people rhyme forever. So I would uh, I would have to put him on this list if we are looking at this bigger picture when it comes to who belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. After that, I start to. I start to struggle a little bit. Um, I'm going to go with, with, wow. I'm going to go with Depeche Mode. Again, you know, they are the most and the most influential band of, of the original Technopop era. And while America may not realize it, they are a global phenomenon. They still sell out stadiums around the planet. And they were huge in the 80s. I mean, they were absolutely massive in the 80s. And the 90s. And yep. today, I mean, uh, they still do extraordinarily well. They've sold well over 100 million records. And they've influenced tons of people in that electronic vein. So, okay. yeah, All right. I mean, I would have to put them there. So there's number three. How many do you want? I said five. You got five. two more. Okay. Uh, 
I would go with the MC5. Uh, they were a band from Detroit, extremely fierce. They were part of what we would call the proto-punk scene. So they were a punk band before there was punk. And um, they, along with Iggy Pop and the Stooges, there was a Detroit band called Death and uh, a few others that set the stage for what would become the punk rock revolution of the middle 1970s. The MC5 was this metalish, garage bandish, punkish band with this and anarchist or anarchist sort of sensibility that that really did a lot for the early punks. So I would put them there. Although if they were to be inducted, uh, they wouldn't show up, and they would just probably something say something really disparaging about the whole thing. Who's the last one? Who would be your fifth one that you would put on that list? Motorhead. Motorhead. Okay, so there's the five. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with the world's greatest music historian, and he didn't even pay me to say that, but it's true, Alan Cross. Uh, we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The nominations have come out. Uh, here was Alan's list of his five choices from the list, the new list right now. Kraftwerk, Notorious B.I.G., Depeche Mode, MC5, and Motorhead. So Alan, let's go through some of the ones that are on the outside looking in that are very well known, that a lot of people have strong feelings of. And let me know if you think these people are rightfully feeling snubbed or if they just don't deserve to be in such a thing. Um, and, and there's like, there's a million names on here. We're not going to give them all, obviously. But again, and basing this on what we talked about off the, st- off the top, this is, while it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's really kind of the popular music Hall of Fame, which kind of changes... I think how we would decide who gets in. Uh, one name she's been snubbed or on the outside thirty-five times. Carol King. How is Carol King not in this Hall of Fame? I have no idea. One of the most prolific and successful songwriters of the nineteen sixties and early nineteen seventies. How is it possible that she is not in there, especially since her Tapestry album became one of the most influential singer-songwriter records of all time? It, it doesn't. It boggles the mind. Uh, may not be everyone's taste, certainly very soft and really doesn't fall in, I don't think, to rock and roll at all. But you can't argue with the Carpenters' success. Should they be in? Oh, boy. Oh, why do you do this to me? Um, I, the Carpenters are the antithesis of rock and roll. I, they are. They are. Yeah, put, no, no, they, they, no, give them a red card. They're, they're no longer eligible. They want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. The Commodores. Uh... Lionel Richie is in, I believe, but the Commodores aren't. I, I, I mean, the, I, I think there are other artists that would rank ahead of them in terms of who should be considered. Duran Duran. Yes. I think they should be there simply because, well, first of all, they sold an awful lot of records. Secondly, they were hugely influential in the 1980s into the 1990s. And three, you cannot overlook their influence as a music video band. So, yes, they should be there. Similar to your argument with Depeche Mode. Yes, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, you would not have the success uh, of early MTV without Depeche, uh, without Duran Duran. Follow that up then with someone who I would say is sort of similar then, the Eurythmics. Uh, yeah, you could make an actual argument that the Eurythmics, Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart should all be in individually. Um, and the other thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that there's still a dearth of women. Mm. That have been inducted. So I, you know, the fact that, that the Eurythmics, you know, headed up by Annie, um, I, they should be there. I, I, I could see them at least being nominated and having a very, very spirited discussion about them. 
Here's a personal favorite of mine, which I don't know how they're not there, uh, but I will leave it to you to decide whether they should rightfully feel snubbed or not. The Guess Who? Again, we have a Canadian band in an American museum. Um, I think that they should be there. Uh, However, because you've got 900 Americans on your selection committee, it's going to be a, a, a pretty tough slog. The only, th- and your point is obviously well taken, the one thing that I would say is there are Canadian bands that don't cross the border very well, but the guess who? I mean, they, tons of their songs are well known by Americans. It's not like their music stopped at the, at the in, border here. In 1970, they outsold the Beatles worldwide. Really? They were an absolutely massive band from 68 through to 72, and they had lots of, of giant hits in, in the United States, lots of top tens, a couple of number ones. And the same thing with uh, Backwoods in Overdrive. After Randy Bachman left in 1970, he came back with BTO, and they had a number of top ten and number one singles in the U.S. So you could actually uh, make a very good case for them as well. Iron Maiden. Yes. The fact that they're not there is just stupid. The most, you know, one of the, the most powerful, the most, um, you know, heralded uh, metal bands of all time, and they're still doing their thing. Like, come on, wake up. Uh, definitely not my taste, but sold trillions of albums and is still a massive star around the world. Mariah Carey. Again, are we talking about the Rock and Roll Hall? I know, game? I know. No, I can't, I can't. I mean, she, there is not an ounce of rock and roll in her at all. <laughs> she is, she is a pure pop artist, and I don't think there is a spot for pure pop artists in in the in the hall. Uh, definitely, again, it, and I hate to keep bringing the same thing. You're, you're going to give the same answer, I think, but Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not okay. rock. Not no, rock at all. No, but again, you know, they're part of the folk tradition that birthed people like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, at the beginning we talked about the parents of rock and roll, and folk music was certainly one of those parents, especially in the late 1950s or in, into the early 1960s. And without them, we don't have, like I said, Dillman and Springsteen. So give them a look. Two more. Steppenwolf. Um, on the basis of what? See, that's, that's my problem. One that's great the, song, or uh, one very popular song. Yeah, they give them three singles, like uh, The Pusher, um, Magic Carpet Ride, and Born to be Wild, okay? Um, again, there are bands that probably deserve to be heard their case deserved to be heard before them. And the last one, and again, Rock, not necessarily, but she's on the ballot this time, and it maybe has sold more albums than any of the people on here, Whitney Houston. I don't understand that. I Here's what's happened. Uh, again, we talk about a pure, pure pop artist in Whitney Houston. Very big star. And, but she has a lot of very powerful people behind this nomination, you can bet that there were there was lots and lots of arm twisting, lots of phone calls, lots of emails made to the people on the selection committee, making sure that Whitney got on the ballot. And you have to understand too that the the Whitney Houston estate right now is putting a hologram on tour. Uh, there is a right. Whitney Houston song out there with Kygo, uh, of, you know, a song from the dead, their version of Stevie Winwood's Higher Love. So there is this this real push to bring Whitney back into the public eye in a rehabilitated form so the estate can make money off her, and that includes maybe getting her into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Alan Cross, always love having you on. Thanks for the time today. Really appreciate the insights. 
You're very welcome. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This weekend at the Warplane Heritage Museum here in Hamilton, uh, Comic-Con is going on. I think you're probably familiar with what Comic-Con is. A lot of celebrities come around. You can get autographs and you get pictures. You can meet them. Well, among the celebrities who are going to be there are, we talked to Lou Ferrigno last night, but there are also three people who many of us, especially those of us who have roots in the 70s, that we grew up watching. Mike Lookenland, Susan Olson, Barry Williams, Bobby, Cindy, and Greg Brady are going to be here. They are the Bradys are in town, and we are very happy that Greg Brady, Barry Williams, joins me now. Barry, how are you today? Hey, Scott, I'm doing great. Looking forward to coming into town. Well, you know, uh, we can't wait to... I, I'm, in tr- I'm in a little bit of trouble. I want to say it up front here because uh, this conversation right now is causing marital strife. When I told my wife I was going to be talking to Greg Brady, I was already in enormous trouble because she was a huge Brady Bunch fan. She goes, come on, how do you get all the good stuff to do? So, you know, th- th- this you the Brady Bunch, has, it touches so many people in so many different ways, including maybe touching me in trouble today. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Just but it, call me the home wrecker. You well, know, I'm get I've, I've gotten used to it over the years. Have you? Have you? Yeah, well, oh yeah. The Brady Bunch though has been so much, and you know this. And I mean, I, like I was thinking, what could I talk to Barry about that would be new? And he's never. You you must have heard every single question because you guys have been such a part of so many people's lives over the years. You know that, eh? Well, this is why I'm looking forward to coming in for the weekend. You know, say say hey to everybody. Um, you know, have a chance to to chat a little bit. We'll take some pictures, hang out. I, I, um, I've been to Hamilton a few times because um, of my uh, theater career, my musical theater career. So I've been through even my first one in the 70s brought me to a Hamilton uh, Pippin. So um, I got a hold of uh, my Brady mates, Michael Lookinland and Susan Olson, uh, sometimes known as uh, Bobby and Cindy. And the three of us are going to show up, so we'll have a chance to, um, to chat about uh, what's what's going on. The, 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 the history of our show has been pretty remarkable. We just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the first airing of the show, and that and all that led to the reunions and the cartoon shows and variety shows and specials and movies and books and plays and, of course, the current uh, to-do, which is the a very Brady renovation. <laughs> Which is great, which has been great. I mean, I was going to say, you guys are back. It, it never seems to go away. You're back at the top of a bit of a pop culture wave these days. I'm guessing you're okay with that, though, that this has never gone away. Nostalgia is my business, Scott. <laughs> uh, I tell you. Well, I mean, are you okay with that? Are you okay that I would guess 95% of the people in the world, if they see you, probably call you Greg? Well, first, they don't. They don't? Second. No. Um, you know, with, <laughs> in the 50 years, I've, it's, it's been broad. It's been a broad career. So a lot of people actually know I'm a person and, and um, refer to me by my, my real name. When they do refer to me as my character name, that's cool. That's fine, too, and I get it. Um, you know, we were ju- I was just bragging on the show's uh, history. And, you know, if you, if, I, if you do all the math, and I have, every, each one of the, I, I, the, the half hour, there have been over 36 and a half million half hours of TV. 
of the Brady Bunch. Wow. That's a lot of reinforcement in, with um, one character. And um, there's so much to talk about. There's the, there's the TV show and, and the relationships and, and the, re, the reunions. But I've had a big, you know, a, a substantial career in, in musical theater and movies. And I was a DJ for a while like you for Sirius XM. And um, I produced movies and written books. And, you know, there, there, there's a lot there. There is a lot. And, and I do want to, I mean, obviously we want to talk a little bit about the Brady stuff. I want to talk about the other things as well. But with the show, with the 50 years, with you staying in the spotlight, what is the magic? What, what is it? You must have thought about this over the years. What is it about that show that has created that kind of magic that people don't want to let it go? Well, I, I, I think what I'd like to do is to check in with the people that... Um, uh, have enjoyed the show over the years and see the, that little light that goes on. And, you know, it's, it is a nostalgic uh, uh, take. When, when you were watching the show, coming home from school maybe, or originally on Friday nights, or, um, or uh, in your dorm room, or wherever it was, it's, uh, it's a show that reflects you know, positive values, positive morals, uh, good stories, good clean family fun, all for one, one for all. And um, I, I, I think that people resonate with that, uh, with that quality and the people that, that brought it to life. And you know what, you, you touch on that, and that's why when I was thinking about this, I'm envious of you in one sense, and it's not the fame necessarily or the money or the talent or any, although those are all great things. It's yeah, that don't, I, don't, don't, don't push those to the back burner. <laughs> no, but I, I got to believe that every room you walk into, people are happy to see a Brady, happy to see you, happy to see, you, you probably don't see too many people who are upset when you walk into the room. That's got to be a gift. Hey, you're right about that for sure. It is. It is a happy place uh, to be. And I sometimes have thought, well, man, what if I had had a career as you know a slicer and a dicer, or you know a serial killer, a bad guy, or someone who you know was re- or you know really not you know a likable character. And every time you walk in, like people would like escape the room or or like you know go to a real sour face. <laughs> <laughs> expression on their face. Instead, you know, um, you know, Greg Brady walks in, and you go, "Oh, okay, that's okay, that's all right." <laughs> it's got, it's got to be wonderful. How did you end up in show business in the first place? Well, I didn't end up in it. I started in it. Okay. Um, meaning, I was only eleven, and um, and uh, I was that I was, I was raised near Hollywood in California. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted to be on the TV that I was watching. Um, the, the, the truth is, my dad, uh, he liked to watch television at night. And I thought a great way to get his attention would be to get on the thing that he was watching. And that's what I did. Am I correct that your dad was actually born in Canada? Yes. He was born in uh, Saskatchewan, at, in Regina. Okay. Moved down to California when he was uh, three years old. So when you so when you're 11, what, how old were you when the Brady Bunch started? You had done other things before that. Yeah, 14. I was 14. Um, started in television. Well, my dad's favorite show, as a matter of fact, Run for Your Life, with uh, a wonderful actor by the name of Ben Gazzara. Run for Your Life and the Dragnet and FBI and the Invaders and the Mod Squad and Gomer Pyle and that girl and It Takes a Thief and Mission Impossible and on and on. Um, and then the Brady Bunch came along, and uh, that you know, then I had a nice long run with that. 
So, and you're right, the, the run has been great, and you mentioned the HGTV show, uh, a very Brady renovation, which has been, uh, I mean, it's amazing how much attention this has got. When they called you up, when HG calls you up and says, Barry, we would like you to do this show, uh, do you think they're completely out of their mind, or do you think, hey, great, let's do this again, let's bring it back? Well, this is what they said. They said, uh, Barry, look, uh, we're talking to everybody, and we just bought the house that, the, uh, that was the facade, the, the photo of the Brady Bunch house. And what we want to do is make the most successful television series in our history. We want to blow the roof off the ratings. We want a new demographic and a younger one, 2544. And we want to get people to watch our network that have never seen it before, and we think the Bradys are just the family to do it with. What do you think? And I said, well, are we going to be playing characters or are we going to be ourselves? They said, oh, no, no, we just want you to be yourselves and come in. I said, can I pick up a hammer and actually help build the house? And they said, oh, yeah. And I said, okay, because I'm, I'm good with a, na- with a nail gun. And a we, we saw that. Yeah, we saw you with the nail gun. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, and they said, yeah, you can do all of that. And I said, well, are you going to use any of your own celebrities like the Property Brothers and Lara Spencer from Good Morning America and, and uh, Jasmine Roth? And they said, yeah, 11 of them. And I said, sounds like a lot of fun to me. Let's do it. And um, it all worked. They got all those things. They got the, 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 it was the most successful uh, television uh, ratings uh, for their, in the history of the network. Um, they uh, grabbed the 25 to 44, and one out of four viewers that watched uh, had never seen HGTV before. Well, I can believe it. I can believe it. Now, you guys are good actors, but when you walk through the door that first time, because I, I think most people know that, as you say, it was just the facade. The inside didn't look like what the Brady set had looked like. When you walk through the door and your response, how much of that was acting and, and doing it for the show, and how much was legitimately, wow, this is absolutely not what we expected? Well, that was the great fun of this. We didn't have to act at all. We would, we, they weren't even asking us to act. All we needed to do was show up, be ourselves, have a good time, hang out. And uh, I, have to get, I have to tell you, we, we worked for a little over a year. I was out till I don't live in Los Angeles any longer, and I went out there over 11, 12 times in the, uh, over the year. Um, and it has been the most enjoyable professional experience in a project of my whole career. Really? Just really enjoyed it, had a really good time with it. It's the easiest work we've ever done and very gratifying. I mean, most enjoyable of your career, why? What was it about it that made it so special? Well, uh, on on one level, it was the full circle of of life, to borrow Elton John for a minute. (laughs) Um, Because 50 years ago we started, and, you know, when it ended... We, we had these friendships, but we all went our separate ways. And then we would we'd be checking in with each other throughout the years and maintained our friendships, but not all together in one place. For this show, all of us, all six kids, were there uh, together, and we traveled all over the country together. We traveled on both coasts and to different cities and, and hanging out and, and then building this house and building this thing that we all share this common memory of. So it was, um, it was just kind of a big love fest, if you will. The, the neighbors on Dilling Street, and that's the name of the, play, the street where the house is, they have lived with Brady tourists for decades and decades now. What was the reaction when you guys showed up? 
Well, <laughs> barricades. <laughs> It was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't just the neighbors, but apparently some of the some of the hotels nearby tried to use it to sell rooms with. <laughs> I don't doubt it. They like advertised it in the elevators. <laughs> but did so, the neighbors? Did the neighbors come out? I mean, again, they've had cars driving by for years. Did they want to meet you? Did they want to see what was going on? Or as you say, did they sort of just hide in their house and well, keep the, keep the noise down? Just keep the noise down. No, no, it, there was a lot of excitement and, and support, fortunately, for it, for it all. And so when we finished work on our way, you know, back into the room to rest, we'd just stay out on the street and take pictures and say hey and thank them very much for supporting the, uh, the cause and the renovation. And, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of noise and a lot of trucks and they move very fast and uh, there was a lot, a lot to do. You know, it's great that you do that because you know as well as I do, there are some celebrities that, you know, they, they don't want to have to do that. They don't want to have, they don't want to be out there. They don't want to do all that kind of stuff. All the stuff I've seen of you particularly, you seem to enjoy that side of things. You seem to enjoy being around the people and, and signing autographs and taking pictures. And if someone asks, someone asks, that's great. Hey, I, I, I tell people that want to be on television or on stage in front of people and are working with the energy from audiences, if they don't like to, to be a part of the audience, then get a different job, go somewhere else, bag groceries somewhere, and help people out. <laughs> uh, I did hear, by the way, the Brady House is the second, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I heard it's the second most photographed house in the States after the White House. Yeah, I started that rumor, and it's true. <laughs> well, people are buying it now, so if you started it, good for you for getting it going. Hey, what do you think, having done this now, and I mean, you only have one Brady house to do, but you, you've you watched TV, you've been someone who's watched other shows. What would be another, what would be the next house? If, if HGTV came to you and said, Barry, you know what, we want to do this again, what TV house should we do next? What would you say? Golden Girls. Well, it's not far away. It's not far away. It's only a few minutes away from the Brady house. You could do that. I didn't know that. I thought we would be going to, to Florida. No, it, it's only 10-minute drive away from uh, from where the house is. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, you should do I that. Just, well, also, it's uh, very well known, but I... I, I uh, they, see, they fooled me. They fooled and, you. And I, I thought that, you know, it takes place in Florida, obviously, but I thought the house was there, too. That's a great idea, though. Uh, people, we only have a couple minutes left, but people, um, people saw you sing on the show. That was uh, something you did now and then on the Brady Bunch. But I don't know that everybody knew that or knows that that is really who you are. That's what you've been doing for many years. You, you have been a singer and a, and a I, stage performer. I can, I can sing and, and do choreography at the same time. You ought to, I do a killer version <laughs> of Time to Change and Sunshine Day. And and you have been doing this. You've been living in Branson now and, and in Missouri. So this is this is your new place. You were saying you don't live in California anymore, but this is what you've been doing. You've been you've been out there. I mean, people could have come and seen you for years now to see you perform. Coming, I, I moved here to perform and uh, doing the music that I grew up with, and I love '70s music. And then, in fact, the show is called '70s Music Celebration um, here in Branson. I did it for six years. Had a great time. Um, in the middle of it, and because it fit with the title of the show, I did do Sunshine Day, and I would ask people to uh, stand up and do the choreography with me, and I would teach it from the stage, and well, uh, <laughs> everybody in the audience was near their seat, and the most remarkable thing would happen. Um, there would be retirees, it was, uh, the, there were three generations of people in my audiences, but 
some of the older folks and that were getting in, you know, toward their 80s and what have you, people who couldn't even really stand up without assistance or a cane of some kind, they would stand up and do the choreography. Sunshine day, everybody's smiling. The sun sh- and they'd be rocking and rolling, doing a little shuffle. <laughs> It was hysterical. Man, you're getting the people who can't stand up on you. You're like a Benny Hinn of music. <laughs> exactly. It was great. It was terrific. Is that your first we, love? Is, that, would, is singing and dancing your first love, or is acting, or are they equal? I love I love working with uh, the energy of people. I love working with, um, you know, in a, in a live situation. Uh, and I would have to say that that's, that's, that's really my favorite thing to do. I do have to ask you, when you did the show, did you sing the Brady Bunch song, or have you just heard that enough times you never need to hear that again? Um, I think I had the audience sing it. Oh, really? That's the way I did that. Um, yeah, here's another rumor I started, um, that uh, the, uh, more people know how to know the lyrics to the Brady Bunch theme song than the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> and again, it's a rumor that I could believe. I would buy into that and maybe Gilligan's Island of a certain vintage, but that, that's right up there. Uh, hey, so many people are going to be so excited to be seeing you here in Hamilton. But before I let you go, you mentioned that you wanted to be on TV because your dad was watching it. Who was the person, like for the people who want to meet you and see you here, who was that person for you? Who was the, the star, the celebrity that you always wanted to meet? Okay, I'm going to tell you, but but don't let it get out. This is just between us, Scott. Okay. Lou Ferrigno. Come the on. Reason, <laughs> the reason is you got to be like really cool around him. You've got to be really cool. You have to be really, really nice because, and just trust me on this, you do not want to get him <laughs> mad. Absolutely right. Barry Williams, Greg Brady, as some people will know him, uh, will be at the Hamilton Comic Con at the... A Warplane Heritage Museum here in Hamilton this weekend. Barry, I so appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, by the way, I have one ticket put aside um, as, a, as a free pass uh, for your wife. If you really do, she would come and, well, I don't want to say she'd kiss you on the lips. She'd probably charge her, but she would be right there. Absolutely. Listen, that is, uh, that is very kind. Thank you for taking the time. All right. Listen, if anybody wants to... Uh, know what's going on in my world or uh, you know check out my schedule or the Travelers, the group that I'm singing with now uh, check out uh, BarryWilliamsOfficial.com BarryWilliamsOfficial.com Thanks so much and Barry I, Appreci- oh, Sorry go ahead And I hope to see you over the weekend it's gonna be, we're going to have a blast Absolutely or, it I, will be Absolutely it will totally be time. Thank you very much Go see Barry Williams as I say at the Warplane Heritage Museum at Hamilton Comic Con this weekend the Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. 911.